mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing The curse it is cast The slow one now Will later be fast As the present now Will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be last For the times They are a-changing It is 1964. Some would argue the country was imploding from within. And there would be a number of spokesmen that would stand up for these new changes that were coming. This was one of them. Who is it? Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan everyone says over 50. All right. <laughs> Bob Dylan, he said he wanted this to be the anthem for change that was occurring at that time. The change was radical. We had this new sense of free love, the sexual revolution. We had drugs, never before at this level. Many of the adults, like we would be, and some younger than me, saw this as the most evil generation that could ever be imagined. But like anything else, when change is going on, as radical as that was, there was good change. This change brought focus on the racial issues, which were horrific. We look back now on those days, I can't even imagine how as human beings we allowed to go on what went on back then. Women's rights. Women were treated extremely unequal at that time. These these focus, foci, whatever that word is, really turned out to be good for us, and they carry through to today. But unfortunately, so do the bad ones. It was a tough time to be a Christian and determine what was right and what was wrong because we had the Vietnam War, we had everything going on. But that's one of the things that you and I have to do. We have to be able to take what's going on in our culture, and we have to be able to come to good decisions. And that's why we're going through this book of Colossians. It's why we're giving examples of how you can go through and study the Word, because there are times when without that, you will not have a compass that will get you to true north. Our title for today, Getting It Right. We're going to be continuing in the book of Colossians. We're now in chapter 3, starting in verse 18 through the end, verse 25. And then chapter 4, we're going to go through the first six verses. And I'm going to ask my wife, Barbara, to come up and she will read the scriptures for today. And if you would stand with, uh, with us as we read them. This is from the New Living Testament today. Wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Mm-hmm. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, listening to God's word as we just did is great. But studying God's word is better. That's what God calls us to do. I fortunately had a a mentor that taught me early on that, uh, Ed, you need to meditate in the Word of God. You need to study the Word of God. That's how we see his awesome power. That's how we can make those, those judgment calls and be lined up with God's Word. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 2. He was speaking to the, uh, to the Jewish leaders of the time. He said, your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Studying the Bible helps you and I build a worldview. There are a lot of competing forces that want to get you to see the worldview from their perspective. And it's important as Christians that we understand that's happening. It's also important for us to know that we have a place to go to structure and build our worldview, to compare what we're being told against what we sense and what we see is God's will. You know, Paul discussed, we'll be going through some of the issues of family. From the beginning of time, the family has been attacked. It is one of God's core building blocks for his kingdom. So don't find that surprising. That has gone on, it will go on. But like in Paul's day, like in in 1964, like in today, we face great challenges. We face things that we have to sort through and decide, God, where do you stand on this? In 1964, there were a ton of people that believed the racial issues that were being called out were wrong, that the racial issues were just the way they should be. They were wrong. Many of them were Christians. Very important that we get God's view on things. See, Paul writes this portion of scriptures and number of parts of Colossians because there were things going on in the church that were wrong, that had crept in through false teaching 
And Paul wanted to bring them back to the basics and show them some things that they needed to understand they were in error on. And God gives us that same word that Paul used for us to be able to sort through those. So four things we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're going to look, about, look at the uh, verses 18 to 21 about the family, about home, homes. Uh, second, we'll look, about work, look at work. Uh, verse 22 through 4.1. Then we'll go to the all-important subject of prayer and then on to what we speak and how we speak. So households, wives, submit to your husbands as, as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. All right, so here's my first question for you, all right? How many people here really like the word submit? All right, no hand. Well, we have one hand in the first service. Guess who? Yes, it was Pastor Greg. I got to tell you, tough act to follow that guy. See, the fact of the matter is, whether you're male or whether you're female, You don't like the word, most everyone doesn't like the word submit. Why? Give me some reasons. Why does that word not please most people? We want our own way. way. What else? Say it, yell it. Yep. What else? Yes. That's exactly right. So yeah, the word submit in, in society has a very negative connotation. It portrays control, okay? It, it's, it is something that seems to be something you're commanded to do. It seems like someone is inferior and someone is superior. Now, maybe it will not, hopefully it will not come as a surprise to you that the Bible's definition of the word submit, the Greek word for submit, is not at all what we just talked about. Now, here's something you may not have known before because it was something I didn't know until I did this study. That the word submit actually in the Bible is used in two different um, uh, con- contexts. One is for the military. All right. Now, in that, in that context of, it, of its use, it does exactly what I just said. It is a command that you need to follow. Well, would we ever disagree with that? Do we want, you know, our troops, when, the, when the, uh, the captain says, you know, go take that hill, and they say, ah, you know what, nah, I'm not thinking so, a little bit, you know, the rest of the guys can go, I'm staying back. No, can't do that. But when it's in a non-military way, it does not mean that, okay? It is, and this is what it means, the word means a voluntary attitude of cooperating, a willingness to assume responsibility. See, in the Bible, there is no indication that women are called to be inferior to their husbands. Rather, they are called to be cooperative with their husbands in doing what is best for the family. Husbands are likewise given spiritual obligations toward their wives. This includes demonstrating the same selfless, sacrificial love that was shown by Christ to the church. Sadly, sadly, there are many examples in marriages where these instructions are clearly not, not applied. You know, I've, I've done a lot of marriage counseling over 40 years, and here's when I know I have trouble. 
when I get a couple in front of me and the husband starts off by saying, you know, I just want to say it right now, my wife does not submit to me, and that's something that has to be fixed. Wah, wah, wah. All right. At that point, I dismiss the wife, and I talk to the husband. All right? See, I believe that many of the issues are, sol- are solved, and I see this in my counseling, when husbands step up to their responsibility, combined with loving that responsibility to be the spiritual head of the household and, and to love their wives, very much like Christ loved the church. But there are women that I have counseled that will, will not allow that to happen. They're very, very strong. However, I will tell you this, that in most cases... When a husband will, will attempt to be the spiritual head of his household, but also will love his wife unconditionally, that turns things around almost all the time. See, regardless of your personal experience or my personal experience, we have to say, God, what is your context of the family? That's important. And, and what I find in the Word is this, that the picture is of a godly husband who loves his wife, is gentle with her, while doing the best he can to lead spiritually. She, in turn, offers that same similar kindness. She supports her husband and assists him in providing spiritual direction for the family. There is nothing at all in Paul's instructions that suggests male superiority. On the contrary, it properly, in a properly functioning marriage, you should have the same kind of equality and submission found in the Trinity which is an awesome one. Jesus said this. He said, I don't want to take this cup away from me. God, I don't want to do this, but not my will, but thine be done. He was God, but he took a position of submitting to God the Father. Great example of how that can work. So next, Paul moves away from from that, and now he goes down to the children, and he has this one situation, one word that he says, obedience. Children should obey. In fact, it was so important that God actually put that in the Ten Commandments, where he said, honor your father and your mother. Do you know what they did to kids in the Old Testament that didn't honor their father and their mother? They stoned them. Next time, tell your kids that. They won't mind getting a spanking. We sometimes don't understand the importance of having children, understand the importance of obedience, but sometimes we don't set the tone in the home that allows that to happen. You know, when, uh, when my kids were younger and I was younger, um, I worked you know, outside the home, didn't have a lot of in-home working back then, but I did occasionally. I had an office downstairs. Many times I'd be preparing for a message or doing something else. And there was a door at the top of the stairs, which could be closed or open. Mostly it was open if I were downstairs. And I could hear what was going on upstairs. And sometimes one of my four children would decide to talk back to their mother or decide to tell her that they're not going to do something she said they need to do. I think we timed it. It took me 5.6 seconds to get to the top of those stairs. And my kids would have this look of shock and horror because they now remember, oh my gosh, dad was downstairs. (laughs) And uh, they learn quickly, that's not a good thing to do. See, Jesus set the example of honoring his parents. 12 years old, he's teaching in the synagogue. He says, didn't you know this is what I'm all about? But he went and was subject to them. 
very important for us as parents to realize we need to teach obedience to our children, but not just by discipline, also by giving them instruction in the word of God, explaining to them the importance and how God looks at that. We are called as fathers to take a lead in that discipline and in teaching God's word. We do that in a partnership with our wives. Colossians 3.22, we move into now, into this whole issue of masters and slaves. Now, back in those days, that was accepted. Paul was dealing with that culturally, but he was applying the word of God to it, where he was making it seem like slaves should actually bring honor to their masters, which was not something you normally heard. So I'm going to change that a bit, because we don't have slaves and, and masters these days. So I'm going to change it to employers and employees, which is not a perfect example, but it's, it's much more relevant to us. So let's read that with that in mind. Employees, obey your employers in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Employers, be just and fair to your employees. Remember that you have a master in heaven. So as we read these scriptures... One thing is clear, okay? There's a major point here, that, that as workers, as employees, that we're supposed to work for God's glory, regardless, regardless of whether your employer is watching or not, regardless of whether your employer is a good employer, a nice employer. Our ultimate rewards for doing so are from God. They're not from human beings. In fact, when you get rewards, and you get accolades from people, it's great to acknowledge that. It's great to be grateful for it. But understand, those come from the Lord too. Paul reminds us that as employers, which I am that as well, that we are in fact employees or servants of a master that is in heaven and, and will be judged accordingly. See, from the most mistreated employee to the top leaders in any company, Every person, regardless, is called to work for God's glory. We honor him, not the men and women that we work for. Not for just earthly goals. Paul encourages them in that day. We need to be encouraged in this day. This mortal life is not where we get our rewards. Now, here's what I would challenge you on if you're an employee sitting here today. Can you go to work every day realizing not how your boss is or isn't, whether she or he is, is good or kind or fair, not worrying about whether you think you're being treated or paid properly or whatever. You can always decide to get another job. But while you're there, can you believe that you're actually working for, for Christ? Can you go to work believing that he's your boss? And can you work as if he really was? Because he really is. Very important. Colossians 4, 2 to 6, an encouragement for prayer and wise speech. Devote yourselves to prayer 
with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should. Like, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive, many translations seasoned with salt, so that you will have the right response for everyone. These verses discuss how a Christian speaks, both to God, which is in prayer, and and with those that we are put in contact with. This means, the prayer side, a frequent going to God. And and this is the thing about prayer. Many times we, we have prayer times, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with dedicating a time specifically to pray. But prayer should be a dialogue. It should be an ongoing thing throughout the day. Now, Look, you know, confession is good for the soul. This is an area I really have to discipline myself in and struggle with. You know, I get lost in my day with the 9,000 demands, and, and sometimes I just don't get my thoughts around, hi, God, you know, help me out on this next thing or do this or do that. I have to discipline myself to do that. I don't know how you are, but if that's your issue, you know, it's a dialogue. It's not a moment in time. It's not like, okay, I'm done my prayer Now we don't have to pray anymore for the rest of the day. It's not that way. Paul mentions two important aspects of of prayer. One is that we need to be watchful. We need to go into prayer focused. We don't go in there with a a just casual, you know, just pray for anybody that comes to mind all the time. No, we're focused. We pray with specific intent and with deliberate intent. And second, we should be thankful. We should be grateful. As we pray and as we line up with what we're hearing God giving us direction for, we'll see the power of God in our lives, and that should bring gratefulness. Don't take that to yourself. Don't take that credit to yourself. Give God the glory. Paul encourages us to make effective use also of the time when we are interacting with others. We should remember the fundamental part of the gospel is this. Time is short. You know, whether it be by accident or nature or Christ coming again, none of us know when we will face the Lord. None of us know that. We should be motivated by our understanding that the people around us will die without Christ unless they hear the gospel. Lastly, Paul encourages us that our speech would be full of grace and seasoned with salt. In Paul's time, salt served as a preservative. They didn't have a lot of refrigeration. You know, they had ice, but it was not easy in those days to have that, to travel with it. So they had this process where they would salt the meat and the fish, and it would preserve it for a much longer period of time. Now, Salt was so valuable that it could actually be used as currency. People would actually pay for things with salt. And, and salt changed the flavor, changed everything about that. So let me take a slight diversion here from uh, this deep spiritual conversation and show you a picture of one of my grandchildren. That is Josh, and that is a fish that he caught just a couple days ago. Uh, I will tell you the fish was heavy, and we had to get that 
fish clearly in his hands several times before he could hold it up. And, uh, but he was so happy. Uh, and then next picture is the, the three hires generations, uh, all with a bunch of fish on the deck. So what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? All right, well, my son, uh, Ben, is, uh, he's, he's very intelligent, and so he does a lot of things with a lot of research. And a couple of years ago, he bought a smoker, all right? And uh, so he smokes things, but he'd never smoked fish before, only meat. So this is bluefish, and you can go to the next scripture so people don't have to look at all that blood all the time. Um, so you, bluefish, a lot of people don't like. It's a little strong, a little oily. But if you smoke it, it's amazing. It changes everything. And, and some people call smoked bluefish the bacon of the sea. Come on. That, don't you want some now? So, but the fact of the matter is this. Salt takes something that is not appealing and makes it extremely appealing. That's what we do. Life for a lot of people is not appealing. Marriages are bad. Finances are bad. Health is bad. Bad, bad, bad. And we bring the salt of the gospel. We preserve, we change the flavor of people's lives. Or at least that's what we're supposed to do. That's why it's so important that we, I remember listening to a message one time uh, that an evangelist gave, and it was called, Are You Content with the Fact Your Neighbor's Going to Hell? (laughs) I remember I initially didn't want to listen to that message because I knew what was going to happen. Uh, But it was interesting wasn't condemning. It was convicting. You know, in your life, I don't know if you had someone intervene, but in my life, someone took that time to explain the gospel to me. I wasn't very open to that. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't exactly the best meeting that person ever had, but they did it. And then over six months, God sent other people that were willing to take the time to do that. And finally, I, I realized, God, you're after me, and I'm glad you are. So, Let's bring this all into focus, because I had one intent in this message today. Not just the specifics of the issues we discussed. They're very important. And not even that you will agree with everything I set up here. That's not my, my goal isn't to get you to agree with everything, but to share with you what I see as truth in the Word. But this next picture I want to talk to you about. So that's an umpire. And you see that ball coming in. It's going to go to the catcher. And the umpire has a, decision, has a choice right then. He has to make this choice. He has to say what? It is a, or it's a, okay. There's nothing in between. The umpire can't stand there and say, hmm, hmm. Let me take a look at the uh, little box and see where it, where, it, where it hit. No, that's what he's trained to do. He has to take that information quickly. It's, it's right in front of him, but he has to make a decision. So I want to tell you this. How does that umpire learn to do this? That ball's coming, by the way, at somewhere between 70 and 90 miles an hour. So there's a, there's a place called, uh, what is it called? Uh, where they have uh, batting cages, not Mel's, but the other one, Chucksters. So I went to Chucksters, my daughter plays, my granddaughter plays softball. And uh, so they have one place there. I went into the batting cages and did, you know, fairly well or poorly, depending on who you were asking. I made contact at least. But they had, that came in at like 30 miles an hour. But they had one that came in at 70 miles an hour. Now I will tell you, I would have to swing before the ball came out of the chute. 
I mean, you have, it, it, I didn't want my granddaughter in there because it was so fast it would kill you if it hit you. But that umpire is getting him higher, sometimes 100, 105 miles an hour. He's got to make that call. But here's why he can do that, because he's trained. So here's what happens if you want to be an umpire. You get a manual. Yes, you do. You get a manual that goes through all the basics of what your responsibilities are. It goes through how you will make those decisions. What are your criteria for that? Then, in addition to that, you get practical experience. You read the manual, you get some instruction, you go out and you actually practice what you've read and you determine whether it's working or not, whether you have to change something because you now have applied what you know. It doesn't always work out that you understood exactly what was meant. So that's where the third thing comes in. You now have other umpires that have been around for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years that have great experience, and they know the tricks. They know how to take what you learned in the manual, what you applied, and maybe still weren't totally clear on, and they help you understand you are all spiritual umpires. You get to make the call. I can preach anything I want up here, but you sit out there and say, hmm, I don't agree with that. You make the call. Hmm, I do agree with that. You make the call. Or, you know what? I don't really care. I'm not making any call. In which case, you won't be an umpire very long, by the way. But it's no different. We have a manual that manual is the Bible. We have to study that. We will not be able to make good calls if we don't understand what and how we do that. We have practical experience. You take what you believe you understand, what you've heard, what you've read, and you apply that and you determine, how's that working? Do I seem to be calling strikes balls and balls strikes? But then you have those that have gone before you the Mike Shaughnessy's that have been around for a long time, that have experience. They've been through a lot of what younger Christians will go through. You can find out all the experience you want, or you can go to someone like a Mike, and you can have, ask him to help you make the right call. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is wisdom. We face many issues today. They faced many issues in 1964. They faced issues before that. They faced issues in Paul's time. You have to make calls. You may not like it, but you have to make calls. You cannot just walk around in ignorance and somehow feel it's somebody else's responsibility to make the call. You need to make a call. Make a good one because you're going to go to God. You're going to pray. You're going to do what the Word says. Study to show yourself a workman approved unto God, rightly dividing the Word of truth. I'll leave you with a couple of, uh, one is a quote by William Shakespeare. Ignorance is the curse of God. Knowledge is the wing wherewith we fly to heaven. And Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over. We are the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. We are going through a lot of change in our, in our society. Those changes seem very, very easy to some people. Unfortunately, 
There are Christians on both sides of every aisle. What's the right call? Whether you like it or not, you're responsible to make that call. You can't make me your God. You can ask me my opinion, be glad to give it to you. But in the final analysis, you have to go to God. You have to know what is right for you, but not by what you're being told by the world, but what you're, being, what you're hearing God tell you. Nothing wrong with getting counsel, nothing wrong with reading other books than the Bible, but everything has to come back to that. It's dangerous if it doesn't. It's easy to go astray. I know wonderful men and women of God that I feel are totally, totally lost. You know, one of my best friends, or one of my good friends, great man of God, got hold of a teaching that said, everybody goes to heaven. No one is, in fact, the devil in the final analysis gets saved. Try to find that in scripture. But this was not an ignorant, this, is, this was a missionary. This was a man who served God. This was a man who loved God. But boy, you know, try as I might, try as others did, we were not able to move this man away from that. So we have to be careful as spiritual empires. It's not a, it's not a, a bad thing, it's a great thing. Because here's what God says, call unto me and I will answer you. Show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So Father, we, we thank you. Lord, this responsibility we have, it's not easy. But Father, it's wonderful because we have a place to go. We can find true north. It may not come in a, in a day or a week. It may take a lot of prayer, consideration, discussion. But Lord, help us not to make our decisions based on experience in the world. Help us not to let the world tell us what is right and what is wrong. Help us, Lord, in a multitude of counselors. We know there's wisdom, but in the final analysis, Lord, it comes back to your word. Help us, Lord. Help us to make good calls. Lord, we want to be good spiritual umpires because our calls influence many other people. And we thank you for that, Lord. We know you hear us. We know you respond to us. And we are, we are just grateful to be your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, have a wonderful, less humid, not quite as hot day. Enjoy the sunshine and uh, be blessed this week. If you need prayer for any reason, we'd love to pray with you before you go. God bless. Have a wonderful day.